Hi there. Welcome to Bond Investment Mentor. I'm your host, Chris Nelson, and this is a podcast dedicated to helping community financial institutions master the art of fixed income investments. If you're working for a community bank or credit union and you have responsibilities for the investment portfolio, you've come to the right place. I'll be your personal investment guide as we help you boost your fixed income investment knowledge, level up your portfolio management skills, and help you gain the know-how you need to help your institution achieve its financial goals. In this episode, we're going to talk about where to focus your investment efforts this year. With the wild ride we've all experienced in the past few years, I think it's time to think about how we can approach this year a little differently. I'll share five focus areas that will help you in the investment portfolio in 2023. I've cooked up some really good information today, so if you're ready to go, let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to Bond Investment Mentor. I hope that you're doing well. If this is your first time stopping by, I'm glad you're here. And if this is a return trip for you, welcome back. Since the last episode, I've been hunkered down, okay, some would call it hibernating, and working on several investment projects, including uh, recently a live online workshop that I hosted on building a customized investment strategy. It was a lot of fun, and I was glad to help some community bankers. Um, I've also been working on some other training material that I'll tell you about in a little bit. Well, now that we've rolled into 2023, many community bankers are looking ahead and thinking about how to approach the year, especially after the roller coaster ride of the past several years. And I've been giving this some thought, and today I'm going to share with you some ideas about where to focus your investment efforts this year to help you help your portfolio and help your institution. But first, I want to take a look at the bond markets and recent economic data, as well as share some information from the mortgage security markets and tell you about a recent conversation I had that's going to prompt me to explain myself a little. Let's start with a review of what's been happening in the bond markets, and we have plenty to go over. Last week was a busy one with a Fed decision and several key economic reports that drove market action. We'll begin with last week's Federal Open Market Committee meeting. The FOMC voted unanimously to raise the Fed funds rate by a quarter point to a range of 4.5 to 4.75 percent. This really came as no surprise as the market had been expecting a slowdown in the Fed's rate hikes and comments from various Fed governors and regional presidents reinforced that view. What was a little bit of a head scratcher, at least for me, was Fed Chair Jerome Powell's press conference after the meeting. Since the December FOMC meeting, we have heard a steady drumbeat about the Fed's concern that the bond market could create a headwind that would hurt the Fed's ability to bring down inflation and possibly create the need for more hawkish action with respect to interest rates. Surprisingly, during the press conference, Powell came across as almost laid back as I watched. The markets seemed to take this as a sign that their bullish perspective about the end of tighter monetary policy and a Fed pivot to lower rates within the year was the correct one. So Treasury yields rallied lower as a result, with rates on intermediate to the long part of the yield curve falling by about 10 to 15 basis points in a matter of minutes. Fed funds futures probabilities also pulled back as the market locked in one more quarter point hike by the FOMC at their March meeting before hitting the pause button. In going back and reviewing Powell's comments, I thought of something that I used to say to my kids when they were younger. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. 
The Fed chair didn't really change his message about the FOMC keeping rates higher for longer, nor did he downplay concerns about inflation levels still being too high despite modest improvement in the past few months. However, as I said, his comments during the press conference came across as much more dovish than perhaps he desired. Unfortunately for him, the markets took what he said and ran with it, with yields pulling back, just like I'm sure Powell didn't want. The other news that really set the bond market off was last Friday's employment report. I kept seeing one word to describe the report, and that was wow. Ahead of the report, the consensus was for an increase of 188,000 in non-farm payrolls and the unemployment rate to tick up to 3.6%. Instead, the numbers blew the doors off expectations with 517,000 in non-farm payrolls and the unemployment rate dropping to 3.4%, which was the lowest since May 1969. One thing to keep in mind is that the January employment report was a bit on the messy side. The Bureau of Labor Statistics makes revisions to the report's seasonal factors and other assumptions every January, and that likely contributed to some of the strength that we saw in the report. We'll have to see how things shake out in the next couple of months to get a better picture. Meanwhile, the bond market was not prepared for the news, no matter what the reason, and sent Treasury yields higher pretty much across the board after the news broke. From two years out across the yield curve, interest rates shot about 20 basis points higher as market participants re-examined the Fed outlook and the likelihood of Fed rate cuts by the end of 2023. As I'm recording this, the two-year Treasury is yielding 4.42%, while the five-year Treasury is currently at a yield of 3.78%. The benchmark 10-year Treasury yield is, right now, 3.63%. And looking at Fed Funds futures, the current consensus is that the FOMC will raise rates by another 25 basis points at the March meeting and is strongly leaning toward an additional quarter-point increase in May. There were also a couple of other noteworthy reports released last week. The Employment Cost Index, which historically has been a number that has interested the Fed, rose by 1% in the fourth quarter. And while that was an improvement, it's still indicative of an inflation rate that's running too high for the Fed's liking. The annualized ECI rate off of that number is 4% and increased by 4.9% in the past year looking back. Both are well above the FOMC's 2% inflation target. The other data that got my attention was the latest ISM Manufacturing and Service Sector Indices. The ISM Manufacturing Index remained in contractionary territory for a third consecutive month in January at 474 Meanwhile, the ISM Services Index rebounded from December's print below 50 to 55.2 in January, putting it firmly in expansionary territory. Over the years, I've blended these two indices to get a better picture of the overall economy, using an 80% weighting for the services index and a 20% weighting for the manufacturing index. The combination of the January numbers equals 53.7, which still points toward growth and expansion. However, that doesn't mean that all areas will experience the exact same conditions, and I wouldn't be surprised to see pockets of slowdown or recession, much as we've seen in certain regions and industries in the news lately. 
Looking ahead, it's a relatively quiet week this week with very little on the economic calendar. As far as any comments from what I call the Fed heads, Jerome Powell will be speaking, as well as Fed Vice Chair Michael Barr and Fed Governor Christopher Waller. I recently saw a Bloomberg article that I thought would be of interest to those of you who invest in residential mortgage-backed securities. In the article, Rich Estabrook from Oppenheimer commented that issuance of 15-year mortgage pools had been hitting record low levels for the past few months. With interest rates rising as they have, refinancing activity has dried up. No big surprise there. This has put pressure on 15-year originations as much of that volume has historically been driven by mortgage refis. According to Estabrook, the issuance of 15-year MBS has fallen to levels last seen in November 2007. For community bankers searching for shorter mortgage securities, this has resulted in fewer bonds being available in this sector. I've noticed that not only has 15-year paper been harder to find, but so have 10-year MBS investments. On top of that, with less supply and continued demand, the spreads on these securities have been tightening, which means that yields haven't looked as attractive. So what do you do in this situation? Well, if you can live with the skinnier spread, you could still invest in the 10- or 15-year mortgage-backed pools that are available. Another option would be to consider season 20-year mortgage-backed securities. However, you do need to be aware of the slightly higher extension risk that could occur if prepayments were to slow down and given the longer final maturity. The last option would be to consider using CMOs with a structure that acts more like a 10- to 15-year maturity investment. These aren't specific recommendations. They're just alternative paths to think about as you consider your options. Given where we are with interest rates, I don't believe the situation is going to change anytime soon. Before we get to our main topic, I wanted to share a quick story with you. Recently, I was having a conversation with a community banker who was trying to better understand what I do and the services I offer. They asked me if I was an investment advisor. I told them that while I do offer investment advisory services, if someone is interested, it's really only a small part of what I do. This made him more curious, and he asked me, so what exactly do you do? I told him that most of what I do involves training and mentoring community bankers to help them improve their investment, portfolio management, and finance skills. I enjoy sharing what I've learned over the past three decades to help prepare the next generation of community bankers. This wasn't the first time that I've been asked that question, and maybe you're thinking the same thing. So I'd like to take a moment to explain to you what it is that I do for community bankers outside of the podcast. To put it simply, I help community bankers build their investment and portfolio management skills in four different ways. The first way is through online courses where you can learn about investing for community financial institutions at your own pace. Currently, I have two courses that are available. The first one is Bond Basics, which trains you in the fundamentals of fixed income investments and portfolio management. It's a great course for you if you need an introduction or a refresher to the basics, or you have a member of your team that's newer to the role of working with the investment portfolio and needs a broader understanding of the key concepts. The second course is brand new and is being released later this week. 
Investing in government bonds will help you understand U.S. government securities like treasuries and agency bonds, including callable and step-up agency structures, as well as how to analyze them and make them work effectively for your institution's investment portfolio. Other courses on residential mortgage-backed securities and municipal bonds are in the works and will be out soon. The second way I help community bankers is through investment workshops. As I mentioned earlier, I recently hosted an online workshop on building a customized investment strategy, and I have another investment strategy workshop scheduled to begin on March 7th. These workshops are a great way to work with me in a small group setting to gain the knowledge and learn the tips and techniques that I've picked up over the years to create an investment strategy for your financial institution that will guide you no matter what the markets throw your way. Another way that I help community bankers is through personal investment training. This is where I work one-on-one with you and maybe your team to teach you about fixed income investments and portfolio management through a customized training program. It's kind of like working with a personal fitness trainer in that the training is specifically designed and tied to your institution's portfolio and objectives with me working with you and providing specific guidance and analysis along the way. The training happens over two full days in person or is available virtually via a series of weekly online training sessions. It's an excellent way to build in-depth investment knowledge in a shorter period of time. And finally, for those community bankers that are looking for something even more comprehensive, I offer one-on-one mentoring. With mentoring, we work together during monthly online sessions using a tailored, customized plan that helps you build your specific professional skills as a community bank executive. While mentoring covers investments, I've also worked with clients on a wide range of areas, including asset liability management, loan and deposit rate setting, finance and treasury management, and leadership management and communication skills. It's like getting the keys to the vault containing all my experiences, stories, and lessons learned. So as I told this community banker, I do a lot more than investment advisory work. In fact, I believe that once you gain the knowledge and learn the skills that I just talked about, you won't need an investment advisor. With a little investment of time, you can strengthen your professional skills with help from an experienced, objective resource and be ready to take on the challenges of managing the investment portfolio for your financial institution. So how about it? I'd enjoy having the opportunity to work with you in becoming stronger and more confident in your investment and finance skills. To learn more about how we can work together and about what I do, head over to bondinvestmentmentor.com forward slash work with Chris, all one word, and let's team up and take your professional skills to the next level. Okay, let's move on to the main topic for today, and that is where to focus your investment efforts in 2023. As I said, we've rolled into a new year, and after the past few years, what with rates shooting down and then rocketing higher and investment portfolios creating all sorts of headaches, I think you'd agree it's time to step back for a moment, regroup, and think about how you want to approach things this year. With that in mind, I want to share with you five key areas that I think will be important this year, both in terms of your institution's investment portfolio and your skills as a portfolio manager. The first focus area should not come as a surprise, and that is focusing on your institution's balance sheet. 
What happens on the balance sheet will be a primary driver for what needs to happen in the investment portfolio. I'm not just talking about excess cash balances being put to work in the investment portfolio. You want to focus on how the balance sheet is expected to change this year. Start by comparing your 2022 year-end balance sheet with what the balance sheet is budgeted or forecasted to look like at the end of this year. What changes are expected as far as earning asset balances and deposit and wholesale funding? More importantly, how will those changes influence the balance sheet's exposure to things like interest rate risk, liquidity risk, credit risk, and capital risk? You'll also want to consider your key performance metrics like net interest income and margin, return on assets and equity, and your capital ratios and how the balance sheet is helping the institution get to all of those results. As you evaluate and consider all of these potential changes, you'll also want to think about how they might affect any relevant investment decision-making. As the balance sheet continues to grow or evolve, How does that impact the types of investments you may want to consider? Another key focus area for 2023 is liquidity management. This has already started to get attention by a lot of community bankers and regulators, and I think it will continue to be a driving factor throughout this year. The best thing I can suggest working on in the investment portfolio this year to help out in this area is taking steps to optimize the cash flow that your investment portfolio is generating. One way to start is to go back and review the monthly cash flows that the investment portfolio has generated in the past 12 months. How stable has that cash flow been? Was it relatively steady or were there peaks and valleys in the monthly amounts? By structuring the portfolio so that it generates a reliable and steady source of liquidity, you add another solid tool in the liquidity toolbox that can be far more helpful than worrying about having to sell investments for liquidity purposes. This is especially true these days, given the unrealized losses that overhang all the portfolios for community financial institutions everywhere. By determining the blend of bonds and amortizing securities that work best for your institution, you can begin taking the steps necessary to ensure the liquidity potential of the portfolio. Okay, let's move on to focus area number three for 23, which is managing optionality. Make an effort this year to understand the role optionality plays in your institution's investment portfolio and what exposure you have. More importantly, what steps can you take to limit the effect of optionality on your portfolio's performance? When I talk with community bankers about their institution's investment portfolio, this is one of those topics that almost always plays a role into what's happening inside the portfolio. It's also an area that doesn't always get the attention it needs, which is why I'm mentioning it. By taking the time now to better understand optionality and how to manage it, you'll set up your portfolio to be more well-behaved and a better performer. That brings us to the fourth focus area, and that is developing your investment shopping list. What I mean is that you want to determine ahead of time the type and characteristics of the investments you need before you need them. Too often, an investor will wait until it's time to make a purchase and then try to figure things out as they go along. This approach can end up costing you in time, certainly headaches, and potentially lost investment opportunities as securities trade away before you can make a decision. How do you figure out what belongs on the shopping list? 
Well, one key is having an established investment strategy to guide you, which is what I teach in my live workshops. By knowing beforehand exactly what you need for investments, you can make a quick decision, feel good about that decision, and then get on with the rest of your day. And finally, the fifth focus area for your investment efforts this year is to commit to a process of continual learning. This was something that I figured out early in my career, and it has been a game changer, especially regarding investment portfolio management. When I first got started managing my bank's investment portfolio, I always looked at learning about investments and portfolio manager as more of a single task to accomplish. Get out there, learn about bonds, and check it off the list. But that's not true. Instead, I learned that to be successful as a portfolio manager, the learning never stops. Heck, after 30 plus years in banking and investments, I'm still learning. So how do you get started doing this? First, you want to determine what you want or need to know. Take a little time to decide on the topics and areas that you want to study this year, and then use that as your roadmap to follow along the way. Next, you want to dedicate regular time to learning. It's critical that you block time out on the calendar for continual learning, even if it's only a small amount of time at first. Spending a little time now to increase your skills is better than spending no time at all. The next step is to establish your learning and training resources. These days, there are so many ways to access the info that you need. Some might take more of a time commitment, like attending conferences or schools, while others are more bite-sized and on-demand, such as books and audiobooks, podcasts like this one, online courses, and other training. What's important is to figure out what works for you, and then most importantly, do it. The last thing is to talk with others and don't be afraid to ask questions. I highly encourage you to seek out others to help you. They might be industry peers, professional groups, mentors, or trainers. And once you've got them, what's really critical is to be upfront and unafraid about asking questions. When I taught at the business school at our local university, I always told the students that the only bad questions were the ones that didn't get asked. The only way you're going to discover the answers is to ask the questions. It can be easy to step back and not say anything, and maybe it feels a little safer. But the only way to learn what you don't know is to find out from others. So ask away. So there you go. Five key focus areas for your investment efforts in 2023. To recap, they are one, focus on understanding your institution's balance sheet and its potential changes this year. Two, Focus on improving and enhancing liquidity management through the investment portfolio. Three, focus on managing optionality in the investment portfolio. Four, focus on developing your investment shopping list before you need it. And five, focus on committing to a process of continual learning. By focusing on these five areas, you'll establish a process to help manage your institution's portfolio more effectively, improve your portfolio management skills, and most importantly, be ready to take on whatever curveballs are tossed your way this year. So what are you planning to focus on in 2023? Drop me an email at chris at bondinvestmentmentor.com and let me know or shoot me a message over on LinkedIn. I'd enjoy hearing what you're up to and how you're working to improve your portfolio management skills. And if you have any questions on anything that we covered today, please reach out and let me know. 
If you found this information helpful and you know someone else that might benefit from it, go ahead, pass it along, and let's work together to help as many community bankers as we can to become better investment portfolio managers. Well, I'm glad you stopped by. Thanks so much for checking in. Bond Investment Mentor is written and produced by me, Chris Nelson. The information, views, and opinions expressed during the podcast belong solely to myself, and any ideas and strategies contained within the podcast are for educational and informational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, or legal advice. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do that through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or through whatever podcast app that you use. If you're looking for more information about fixed income investing and portfolio management, head over to bondinvestmentmentor.com where you'll find articles, tips, and resources to help you manage your institution's investment portfolio. And as I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about what I do and how I help community bankers become better, stronger investment portfolio managers. You can also catch up with me on social media. Over on LinkedIn, you'll find me at Christopher Nelson CFA. And on Facebook, I'm at Bond Investment Mentor. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks for stopping by and have a good one.